Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. What's up, everybody? This is Stick to Football, Bleacher Report's college football and NFL draft podcast. I'm Matt Miller, lead draft writer at Bleacher Report, coming to you from a hotel in Kansas City because Mello and I are going to the Chiefs-Ravens game. Connor's kicking it at home in Hoboken, and we have a Heisman Trophy winner, guys. We also have a great show because Joe Montana is joining us. Forget the Heisman Trophy. Joe Montana is joining the Stick to Football podcast. That's a bigger moment for me. I don't know about you guys. I care about that way more than I do the Heisman Trophy, but we are going to break it down and we are going to get to your draft on draft questions. But uh, first, congratulations, guys, to Mason Whitlock. He got married on Saturday. <laughs> I was going to say, where are, you, where are you going with this? But yeah, great, great for you. Good decision, Mason. Is it? Uh, <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. Congrats, Mason. I'll be the one to say it. Congrats, Kyler Murray. Uh, that's who I felt should have won the Heisman Trophy. I know my two co-hosts are stewing right now, but it, I mean, I'm not too surprised. I think it is interesting. This came down to championship weekend of all things. Uh, I do think Dwayne Haskins deserved to be in the conversation a little more than he was, but with Murray's rushing yards and Oklahoma sneaking into the playoff, uh, I think that was really the icing on the cake here for him to win it. I understand him winning. I, I still want to stress this argument. And I will take this to my grave. The fact that the voters made this about one game championship weekend. And then the fact that the voters made it about numbers and doing that discounted the fact that Tua only played in the fourth quarter, I believe two times all year. So he was penalized because he tried to play hurt and he was penalized because his team was so fucking good. He didn't get to play in the fourth quarter of games. To me, that is ridiculous, but it's the Heisman trophy. They got 900 people voting for this goddamn thing. None of them actually watch football. They just look at stats and we and don't. They probably watch some highlights and then they place their vote. Okay, here's how you know Mike Francesa has a Heisman Trophy vote. Why? He I don't he know. Even, like, he doesn't watch college football players. No, never. So and he vote he voted for Tua, but I mean, I'm just saying, if you want to give a stick to football a vote next year, we won't be that pissed about it. No, just and let us vote after address. the season ends, yeah, like it I'm should be. And I, I know we're we're feeding the Fed horse with this, as Mello likes to say. But uh, I would have voted ridiculous. for ETN. Uh, th- this is the hardest thing I've ever said on this podcast. I announced the death of a friend on this podcast, and this is the hardest <laughs> sentence Jesus that's ever Christ. come out of my mouth. Congrats to Oklahoma, back to back Heisman Trophy winners. That's impressive. No matter how much we dislike the University of Oklahoma as Texas fans. It speaks volumes to what Lincoln Riley has been able to do 
to take Baker Mayfield, who was not wanted at Texas Tech, and he goes to Oklahoma, and he becomes one of the best players in college football and wins the Heisman, to take Kyler Murray, who was not wanted at Texas A&M, got ran out of there, had to go play baseball. He goes to Oklahoma, wins the Heisman Trophy, and they're in the running to win a national championship. This is why Lincoln Riley is the best head coach candidate for the NFL in this next hiring cycle, what he's been able to do with these quarterbacks and the fact that, I mean, look at the receivers he's turned out there. Diddy Westbrook. Now we have CD lamb, uh, Marquise Brown, Mark Andrews at tight end. What he's done from an offensive scheme standpoint has to be congratulated. And yes, I'm saying all this with the hopes that he would get hired and Texas can have to play Bob Stoops again. If I ever get fired, I'm going to Oklahoma. I think that's what you're trying to tell me here. Because you're short and they'd let you play quarterback? <laughs> Probably. I'm bigger than Kyler Murray. <laughs> At least way more. They could get those mics lowered for him. That's all Melo has. Hey, Melo was sitting here okay. waiting. No, and I, I do actually. I think that Kyler, he won the Heisman Trophy last weekend when they had the conference championship game. So I'm glad that the voters did take that into account because a lot of times they'll just vote early and nobody even watches those games, but it was a huge difference maker and Tua did get hurt. And I think part of that is that Jalen hurts came in and played very well when, when Tua wasn't in there. So that helps. And I do think a reminder, we get to see Alabama play Oklahoma yeah. in a couple weeks. Right. Like how great going to be a motherfucker. How great would it have been if we could have voted after you saw them head to head? It's just ridiculous that we're not doing that. Also, Quinn and Williams came in eighth. So I want to say one last time. Hashtag defense for Heisman. Next year. Defense for Heisman. We've broken this trophy down for months. Like I said to you guys before we started recording tonight, there's nothing new that we can say. Uh, I, I think that in the last week we all expected Kyler Murray would be the winner because of Tua getting hurt because of the, the game he had against Texas in a marquee uh, spotlight game in the big 12 championship that helps. Um, but again, I mean, I think hats off to, to the guys at Oklahoma and Lincoln Riley and to have back to back. It's the first time since 1946, the school has had back to back winners. So it, it's crazy. Um, I, I think next year, uh, the twenty. 19 Heisman favorite is the guy who finished second tonight. And that's Tua. All right. We are lucky enough to be joined today by, uh, I'm not making this up. I'm sitting at my desk and there's actually a photograph of this player uh, because all our listeners know I'm a huge 49ers fan. Really lucky to be joined today by Joe Montana. I have to tell you, this is probably the only time I've ever been a little nervous to talk to a player. So uh, hopefully you can keep me on my game here. Uh, I don't, I don't think you're going to have a problem. I appreciate that. Yeah, I appreciate it. So we are lucky enough to have you today because of this fan controlled football league that, uh, that you're really excited to talk to us about. Um, You're kind of advising this league. It's an upstart thing that's happening. So tell our listeners a little bit about what you guys have going on. Yeah. um, I was approached um, a while ago about this league and and it was really compelling because they, they, they did proof of uh, product in, in the arena league and where they allowed the fans to, participate in picking the coach, picking the players, calling the plays. And it was pretty compelling, the story that was told about how much fun the fans had and, and being a part of it. And I think today, in today's day and age, um, with all the meetings that we have, the ability to you know, hit social media, everybody wants to be a part of something. And this gives uh, fans a chance to be a part of, of a football league. Obviously, you 
can't do that in the NFL and, and, and probably in any other league that I know of. And it just seems very exciting to me because it's also is for a quarterback, probably one of the more fun things to do is to throw the ball. And this is a seven on seven league. So you're going to see a lot, all, th- all passes. And if you look at the NFL, where is it trending? I mean, look at the numbers those guys are putting up, throwing the ball. And that's what people want to see. And that's what this league's all about. But it also gives the fan um, a chance to be a part of, of of the whole team. So you can make decisions. You can earn your way up the leaderboard. You, you can earn these tokens that allow you to have more weight in your picks. So I think it's you know kind of what where everything is going. If you look at the millennials today, you know, this is an hour long game streamed over Twitch. You don't have to be in front of your TV. I mean, it's just, it just jumps out and speaks at them because they want to get involved. Why are they watching the NFL a little more nowadays? Mostly they're because they're fantasy teams and they're involved in some way. And this gives them even more of a chance to get involved. And and I think it's a, great, a wonderful idea when you start looking at the, the people who are getting involved like the IMGs and Twitch and that are, are speaking to um, what they believe is the validity of, the, of this game. Yeah. And one thing you mentioned there that I wanted to ask you about yeah, where the league is trending. I mean, it's, it's football is almost completely different than it was when you were playing with the 49ers and the chiefs. And you can look at guys like Jared Goff or Patrick Mahomes right now. I mean, they're throwing for more yards in, in a season than sometimes guys did in, in, you know, almost two years, 30 years ago. <laughs> How do you like when you sit down to watch on a Sunday? Are you just blown away by not only the, the how wide open it is, but the rules? I mean, could you imagine if defeat if DBs couldn't hold Jerry Rice to the line of scrimmage? You guys would have thrown for eight thousand yards in a season. I wouldn't want to be a, a defensive back in today's game. Let's put it that way. They get the toughest job on the planet uh, when it comes to that, that game and. Yeah, it would be fun. I mean, I think it would be fun to be able to play with Jerry Rice and John Taylor and Brent Jones and those guys and who could get free release off the ball. Yeah, it would be fun. But you know what? You go back and I and I look at it even further back. The guys who played before me said the same thing about uh, when I was playing. So the game's up forever changing and it's always they're always trying to make it better for the fans. And that's what I think this speaks to the most is the fans because it allows the fans to be a part of, they all want to be a part of it. That's why they have their fantasy things. They can pick and control the players. Now they get to pick the coach. They get to pick the players. They get to pick the plays and they can earn their way up in, in, in a form of game with token earning tokens. I mean, it just speaks to everything that they, that's going on uh, in today's world for, for the younger generation, especially. Yeah. Especially the, you know, with my job, everyone likes to evaluate draft prospects and look at guys as they're coming from college into the NFL. And and we all feel like we could do a pretty good job of it. Right. Which is, is why we have this platform. Yeah. But um, to your college team, Notre Dame, I don't know if you were as surprised as we were this year that they have been so successful. But how how involved are you still with the program there? How much time have you had a chance to watch what they're doing? And they got a, an upstart quarterback there in Ian Book, who's had a really fantastic season. Yeah, I try to keep in touch with it. I try to watch it. I, I'm not involved with the program at all, um, but I do stay tuned. You know, Notre Dame was a dream of mine to be able to go there and play. Uh, so I keep an eye on them. And yeah, they are having uh, a pretty dang good season, and so is the quarterback. I mean, I think that switch made a big deal in how that team has gone forward. Um, I think it gives them a little bit more of a chance to keep scoring. And I think that's the thing against the the team they're going to play. And if they win the team, they'll probably have to play after that. You're going to have to score points. And um, I, I think that 
he gives them the ability to do that. You know, they struggle with big, strong teams all the time. Um, that's where I think their biggest weakness is. But I think they got a pretty good team. They got a pretty good shot, uh, at least to get past past this one. We'll see. Everybody's, you know, that other team, Alabama, is pretty dang good. Yeah, not they're not not too bad. Uh, as far as the guys that play on Sundays, have you had a chance? I mean, you could the the teams that you played for. You have Mahomes in Kansas City. Unfortunately, Garoppolo has been hurt in Kansas, in San Francisco. Excuse me, but watching Mahomes play. Are you just blown away by you see the guy now? Everyone's already saying, you know, he's the best quarterback they've had in Kansas City since you were there. Have you got a chance to really evaluate his game yet? Yeah, I've had a chance to watch him a number of times, and he's he's got a little bit of everything. He he can run. He can his arm strength is ridiculous. Um, not that you always need that kind of arm strength, but just his ability to play, understand the game, play the game at that level, um, is pretty amazing for as young as he is, and. Uh, uh, he's just fun to watch. I mean, I, I think they got a great chance to go all the way. Um, you know, they obviously everybody's going has to probably get through New England, but I think as long as they stay the course and make New England go to them, they got a better chance to win in Kansas City than they do probably going up to Buffalo. I mean, to uh, New England. It, I'm glad you mentioned New England because I would be. I know our listeners would be upset if I didn't ask you this question. How is how hard is it, or is it hard for you to go from? You know, uh, through my childhood and, and teens and early twenties, when people talked about the greatest quarterback of all time, there was no, there wasn't a discussion. It was uh, it was Joe Montana. It's the easy answer. How is it now, where um, you get people that say uh, maybe it's Tom Brady? You know, do you feel like a guy who's won so many games is that like an honor to share the stage with him a little bit, or are you always going to be competitive and and really want that title of you know the greatest quarterback to ever play the game? <laughs> Everybody wants that title, I think, but I think it's really hard to give anyone that title. Tom obviously has had a tremendous career and a lot of respect for what he's done and accomplished. And, um, you know, everybody tries to compare us and, and, and there's just no comparison in the way I look at it. I mean, if you go back and try to compare when I played to guys who played long before me, if you look at Otto Graham and Sammy Baum, those guys were way ahead of their time and what they were able to accomplish can hardly find film on them, but you know, the game's forever changing. And I just say, enjoy everyone for what it's worth. And yeah, I'm just happy to be in the conversation, but obviously Tom, he's putting up stupid numbers. So <laughs> it's going to be hard for anybody to catch him. I think. Yeah. Especially when you can play for as long as he's playing now, uh, it makes it difficult to catch up to. Uh, we oh, appreciate yeah. your time. I mean, this is, is huge for me as a Niners fan. Like I said, I know our listeners are super excited uh, to get a chance to, to hear our conversation. So, Thanks again for giving us some time. I know you're busy. You're kind of up against the clock here. Um, and then thanks again to this this awesome setup you guys have with the Fan Control Football League. Uh, I know as, as somebody who thinks they're pretty good at evaluating players, I'm excited to see how it works out. Yeah, I think it's, I think it'll be fun. I think if, if you want to learn more about it, you can uh, get on the website, uh, fcfl.io. It has a lot more explanation about what's going on, when the first tryouts are, where they are. I think the first one's in Florida at the IMG Academy in January, but um, they're all scheduled around the country if anyone's interested. And they'll tell you a little bit more how to earn the tokens, how to be a part of this uh, going forward. And right. hopefully we'll all have a great time at it. Yeah, man, we're looking forward to it. Thanks again for your time. You bet, man. Appreciate it. Thank you. A lot of good questions tonight. Uh, we're going to try to get to as many of them as we can. Let's kick it off with Austin underscore Nor. In your latest mock draft, you slated Jonah Williams to the Browns at 11. How likely is that he is available at 11? And if not with Cleveland trade up. So this is my mock draft. He's talking about, I, I think one thing that's tough is the 
offensive tackle position. Like everybody's going to try to trade up to get those guys. But I think the strength of the D line and edge probably going to have a quarterback go top 10. We could see him get pushed down kind of like McGlinchey did last year, where a lot of people still feel like he's a top 10 prospect, but he ends up being picked at nine or 10 overall. So I think it's pretty possible. Jonah Williams is there at 11. And I agree with you too, uh, for the same reasons. People are going to trade up to try to get their quarterback, and that's going to push other people down. And sadly, offensive tackle, that's what happens. Those guys get pushed down even though they should still be valued. They're just not anymore. So somebody's going to come up and get their quarterback. So I think Jonah Williams is going to be in that 10 to 15 range. I think it's going to be really interesting because when you look at Jonah, I think at least half the league is going to actually have him evaluated as an interior player, which would kind of, you know, kill the chance of him going in that top five, top 10, because he's not Quentin Nelson. But I do think there will be a team in that top eight that'll need a tackle and view him as a tackle and take him. But it's not crazy to say he'll slide this far, because like you guys just said, we're kind of waiting on the quarterbacks right now. I mean, it sounds like Haskins might be in Herbert. We don't know right now. You would think that he does go back from everything we've heard, but you just you really never know. So we're waiting on the declarations from the quarterbacks, and that would definitely change the board. And it's not like Williams is this, you know, no brainer franchise top two kind of pick guy. He's really somewhere in that five to 15 range. And I should reveal that I have a source in Oregon that tells me Herbert's coming back. There it it is is just a student in Oregon, but it is a source. And he (laughs) said Herbert's coming back. I've heard all the coaches think he's coming back. So, but kids change their minds. We'll see. Yeah. I do think it's, he'll go back, though. Once there's a lot of money being put in front of you, they, it changes a lot of things. Next question, Jake Stillwell. It seems some people view redshirt sophomore and junior differently despite being the same age and playing similar number of snaps. If that is the case, any insight into why? I, I don't view it differently. I, I think that you, in terms of age, obviously, and I'm not one of those people that will freak out about a prospect being 22 or 23 or 24. I, I think if they're going to turn 24 in the rookie season. It's something you take note of, but I'm not super worried about it. Uh, And we've said so many times on this show before, you have to evaluate every player individually. And if a guy's a redshirt sophomore, you just need to look at snap count. And you know, like Dwayne Haskins uh, being a a first year starter, do you hold that against him as opposed to a junior who could be a three-year starter? So to me, that's the only time it matters is when you're really looking at play experience and how much tape there actually is on a guy. (laughs) Yeah. You, took my answer again so it just matters on how much they're playing if it's a quarterback and he's only played a year that's a little bit different versus a guy like Josh Rosen last year he was a three-year starter versus Dwayne Haskins one-year starter so really that's the only thing that matters yeah it comes down to play time I mean like you guys said it doesn't really matter what the title is uh if you redshirt or if you didn't I-, I think what's interesting guy we just talked about Jonah Williams he stepped foot on campus at Alabama and started at right tackle as a true freshman and then flipped to the left side his last two years. So that matters. He's a junior that has three years of starting experience and never had to redshirt. That's when it's different. But when you're talking about a redshirt sophomore versus a junior and they both played the same amount of years, it does not matter. Completely agree with you guys. Anthony Oreo heard us call him out for not being uh, in here asking a lot of questions lately. So he comes back. What should teams like the Saints and Colts do with their backup quarterbacks? It's nice to have the contingency plan, but should they try to trade them to a quarterback needy team like the Giants. Here's the thing. Teddy Bridgewater is a free agent after this year. You can't trade him. The, the window is passed to, to trade him. And when I look at Jacoby Brissett, that's not a guy that I think is going to garner a ton of trade interest. It, yes, you could move him, especially now that you know Andrew Luck is healthy. But 
he's cheap. He's very inexpensive. Um, it makes some sense to keep him just in case. But as far as the Saints go, Teddy Bridgewater is going to be free in about four weeks to sign with whomever he wants. And I would expect he's going to get a 17 to $18 million a year contract to go be a starter somewhere. Ooh, hot take. Uh, I agree with you with uh, Brissett. They should shop him and at least see what they can get back. If they get no offers for him, then sure, you bring a guy like that back, especially with Andrew Luck in his shoulder. I know it looks good this year, but I mean, that doesn't mean that it's going to next year. So you keep a guy around like that unless somebody's willing to give you like a, I don't know, second or third round pick. If they're going to give me that, then he's gone. I think what's so fascinating to me, guys, is I wrote my first mock draft this week. And while I was doing it, my biggest takeaway was there are going to be teams left empty handed at the quarterback position. I know this happens all the time, but it really jumps out to me when I look at it and sit there and say like, okay, if Herbert doesn't enter the draft and, you know, it kind of bumps up Will Greer. That's why I saw Matt had Will Greer in the first round. I think that's very realistic. But somebody's going to be left empty-handed, and then it makes you question: Does that increase the value of the, you know what these guys are worth? Like a Brissett, Bridgewater will get the chance to start somewhere because he has that power and free agency, and that's what he wants to do. But it's so interesting when you look at all the teams after a quarterback. It's not like last year where there's four or five guys in that draft that people will believe will be franchise guys or have the chance to be franchise guys. This year, maybe one maybe two, and that's going to open up the trade market. Sylvester Valderrama, another longtime listener back in the draft on draft questions in division one football. There are 14 bulldogs, 13 tigers, 11 eagles, <laughs> nine wildcats and eight and nine bears. Excuse me. Which school should be the only the one and only bulldogs, tigers, eagles, wildcats and bears. And, and for me, you start with bulldogs here and it's immediately it's Georgia. It's Uga. He's the only bulldog. He's the only one that comes to mind other than Fresno Gonzaga. State. Yeah, Fresno State, like, no. It's Georgia. Mississippi State, no. I forgot yeah, they're yeah. the Bulldogs. Yeah, and I, I think when you think of the Tigers, though, you've got Clemson, Auburn, LSU. I mean, for me, it was Mike the Tiger. LSU, they have the eye of the Tiger in the middle of their field. They have a real fucking Tiger I agree. at their stadium. Wildcats is K-State to me. Really? Okay, well, this goes back to me being like a college basketball fan, I guess. I thought Arizona. I remember when they played in a national championship. Not Kentucky? Against, against Kentucky. As a child, I was pissed off. I was like, what are you talking about? These guys are the Wildcats as well. So, no, for me, it was always Arizona. I was a big Arizona basketball fan. Those Mike five starters Bibby. they had. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you guys at all. I think. Well, who would you guys have for the Bears? I think Cal. It's the Bears. Yeah, I, me too. Yep. There you go. So, there you have it. I, I, think, I think the war is between Clemson, Auburn, and LSU. That's where people are going to be pissed off in this because Clemson has the recent success. Obviously, Auburn's had a ton of success in the past. But for me, it, I'm with you guys. It's LSU. Maybe we got some bias because we were there. I, but I, I say you do a mascot fight. Whoever's mascot wins gets to be the Tiger. Hunger Games. Uh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Does... Uh, Auburn roll out the war Eagle or do they have their tiger fight for him? So I think they lose points for that. So confusing. Uh, next question from our guy, sky is the 2020 running back class or the 2020 wide receiver class more exciting. Mel and I actually previewed this one. We talked about it a little bit the other night. I think it's the wide receiver class. We've talked about before the guys at Michigan with people's Jones and black 
Uh, you go to Alabama, you have Judy at T Huggins at Clemson. There's some very, very good receivers next year. Those guys are just in the Southeast and Michigan uh, in the big 10. Like, I think the receiver class way outshines the running back class. Shay Nolt from Colorado. Yeah. They're just yep. some, the really good dudes out there. And what we talked about the other night, Matt, is we've seen some really special running backs before. And we've seen sophomore running backs before. But the depth that this receiver class is showing so far is just unreal. It's hard to make a choice. I mean, just to be the bring the counterpoint to what Matt said, look at the running backs. You got Jonathan Taylor. Cam Akers had a tough year, but everybody at Florida State did. Travis Etienne, Najee Harris, A.J. Dillon. I mean, some of those guys would be Jacobs. Josh Jacobs. Well, yeah, yeah. If he doesn't come out this year, officially, it'll be Josh Jacobs. I mean, there are a lot of running backs next year that were really, really highly touted recruits. So it's close, but when you look at the wide receiver talent, it's not rare for us to have starting running back talent in a draft, it's rare to have true number one wide receivers. And it seems like we have a handful for 2020. Yeah, we absolutely do. It's going to, it looks like it's going to be a good class across the board. Parker Johnson wants to know, do you guys think Gruden will stick with Carr or aim for Tua or from in 2020 or reach on a quarterback this year? Also with them having three first round picks, what's the likelihood they trade back for a first in 2020, especially if they miss out on Bosa? So a lot of questions here. I think they actually stick with Derek Carr. I feel like they have picked a player to build around, and it is Carr. Now you, we can argue about whether they should or not, but that's what I believe will happen. And with them having three first-round picks, I wouldn't be surprised if they do try to uh, parlay one of those into uh, an extra pick next year because, like we just said, the strength of that class is amazing in 2020. But uh, there's also pressure for them to turn this around to get some quality players and you're going to have, you have to use your picks at some point. Well, in that bears pick that everybody thought was probably going to be a pretty high draft pick is not, it's a late first round pick right now. And if they can have some success in the playoffs, then teams are going to want that spot because they're going to trade back into the first round. And if they can trade back into the first round, the Raiders can move back and get a pick in the next year's draft. So, but I, on your point, I do think they stick with Derek Carr. If, Gruden wanted to trade Carr. He probably would have been out the door already. The dude traded probably the two other good players that they have on that roster. So I think he's sticking with Carr for a reason, at least for one more year. If next year Carr can't perform, then yeah, he's out the door. I think it goes back to our early question, earlier question from Anthony Oreo too. If somebody calls and offers a ridiculous trade for Derek Carr, do you think Gruden would pass on it? I mean, at this point, he's just like, whatever. I got nine more he years after pass this. On anything. It, you know, he's like, oh, I'm good. So. I do think they're going to roll with Carr for at least one more year. When you're on a 10-year deal, you could do whatever the hell you want for the first couple as you rebuild and retool the team the way you want. I think the biggest question is, does Gruden still have the belief that Carr can be the guy, or is Gruden just using him as a placeholder right now? Yeah, and to Mel- like Mel- Melo said, that Dallas pick is getting later in the first round every week. Dallas has been playing very well as of lately, and a lot of that reason is Amari Cooper. So that could be another pick that's going to be in the 20s. So in a situation where everybody thought it was going to be a haul, where they're going to get like three top 15 picks, they're going to be it, it goes back two. to, isn't it interesting 22? with all the rumors that the Jets and the Packers were so in on getting Khalil Mack and, and really specifically the Jets who were shut out because they were an AFC team. You can go back and, and say they botched that. 
I mean, if you had that Jets first round pick this year, you might be picking two and three or one and three. There was a report the Niners offered more. They would be picking one and two. That's insane. There you go. So selecting the Bears, I think, is something that we don't talk about enough because they at one point they did pick the Bears and they shut down talks and said, "Okay, we got something done. And it just looks like that alone might blow up in their face. Four more draft on draft questions, and we have one coming in from Reddit from Ingle J.A. We might have grown up with this guy. Uh, when do you think Saban retires? His current deal takes him to 70 years old. Do you think he signs an extension or calls it quits? Also, who do you like as his successor? Conspiracy theory. I'm going to beat you to it. Davo. Dabo. Dabo. <laughs> Is that even a conspiracy theory? That's the clear winner. Like he was an Alabama guy. So yeah, you talk about successors. Whenever Saban decides that he's done, the next call will be to Dabo Sweeney. And it will be the right call. I don't know if he will leave or not, but that is who they have to call. As far as how long will he coach? As long as he fucking wants to. He is going to be the highest paid person in Alabama for the rest of his life if he wants. So, And I don't see him slowing down in the near future. I, he's going to be a very good coach for a very long time. I think he coaches. He'll probably get another extension. I'll say this. It's a good thing it won't be in the next two years because I don't think Davo Sweeney is leaving uh, Trevor Lawrence anytime soon until no, he leaves. No, I wouldn't. All right, next question from the Framiac. have a couple draft on draft questions for you. Oh, sneaky here. Number one, if you were a high school recruit, what would be your three factors on choosing a school? Location? Um, playing time? Play. And that's it. <laughs> coach pulled me coach. once strike one yeah no i think i guess who the coaches would matter to me to some extent but those coaches move they change so often oh well, that was my number one is the coach because that's who you're signing up for hopefully the next three to four years of your career is going to be that coach and what he can do for the program so i would try to hitch my wagon to that i think it's absolute bullshit that these guys can't leave when their coach does they should be able to your coach leaves you should be able to walk out the door too uh, the next one would, for me would be a championship contender. I want to go play for one of these successful programs. Even if I had to sit for a couple of years or whatever, I want to be in there. I want to be competitive. Maybe not even you know, national championship competitor, but I want to be with a team that's going to be winning at least conference championships. And then the last one for me, I'm going on that campus visit. I don't care about where the location is. I don't need Southern California, but I, I need a good campus. Like if I go up to Madison and I have a good time on my campus visit, I could be fine in Madison, Wisconsin. I think the coach having a plan for you is one of the biggest things. How are you going to use me? When are you going to use me? When am I going to have a chance? Why do you want me? I think those are the big questions that would have to be answered. And I think another thing too is brand power. I mean, depending what school you go to, brand power can really make a difference, whether you're, you know, in the conversation for awards or whether you're on the radar for things like the Senior Bowl. Nowadays in scouting, it it seems like people are rarely missed, although I say that and you look at Philip Lindsay in the NFL right now, undrafted out of Colorado. But I I do think those are the two things. Have a plan for me on the field and kind of have a plan for me off one in terms of marketability and, and just overall presence. Second question, uh, due to the NCAA rule with agents, how can Kyler still play football with having an agent and a major league contract in hand? So I don't know if all three of us need to answer this. Basically, it's a different sport, so he's allowed to play. 
He couldn't have an agent representing him in football matters. He couldn't make any money from football, but he's able to make money from baseball because it's a different sport. It's stupid that it's that simple, but that's it. I mean, Jeremy Bloom got to do it as a skier. skier, And that's a guy that I've tried to get on the podcast before, but he dodged me like he was on the slopes. Damn. Uh, did he, yeah. did, he wow. did he answer you or just blew you off? Totally blew me off. Didn't even reply or anything. Like, come on, you're Jeremy Bloom. You're not that yeah. big of a deal. Damn, that stinks. All right, Blaze Parker. Blaze Parker it. is wondering. I gotta give Matt a break here. He's been reading every damn question. Blaze Parker, with the recent happenings of Kareem Hunt happenings, oof, do the Chiefs look to shoot for the stars and sign Le'Veon or another running back in free agency, or do they try to address the position in the draft? There's a lot of different ways they can go with this. What my gut says, and, and I know I gave them David Montgomery in my one and only mock draft. I don't think they're really going to press to fix this. I don't think they're going to take a running back really early as much as I would like to see them get Montgomery. And I don't think they're going to spend a lot of money in free agency on one. I think they're going to sit there, look for a value back in rounds three or four and, you know, have a committee maybe with Spencer Ware, and that's how they'll handle this thing. And they have two second rounds picks. If they do want to throw some value at the running back position, those are two great picks to pick one up. And even like you said, your guy, David Montgomery, maybe he does fall to the second round. Oh, definitely. And he would be a good fit there because he's a great pass catcher. But I don't think the Chiefs do need to worry about it. They've got a very good offense. Fill in some of those defensive holes that you have, and you'll be all set. And I think you could look at a team that have $40 million in salary cap space, but they have to sign Alan Bailey's a free agent. D Ford is a free agent. What are you going to do with the corner positions? Because Orlando Scandrick is a free agent. Mitch Morris, the center, is also a free agent. They have a lot of guys they have to try to lock up. So I don't think they even have the money to go out and get a Le'Veon Bell who's going to get 14, 15, 16 million dollars a year. And I am so against signing running backs uh, to a second deal. Just draft somebody, especially a running back that can't play 16 games in a season. And I know this season is a little bit different, but the guy always misses games for whatever reason. I'm not paying him that money either. I just I don't know about him sitting out for a whole year and then expecting big dollars. All right, last question from Andrew Harbaugh. Who or what made you choose your career path? For me, honestly, I kind of just fell into mine. And I'm not referring to the podcast. I don't think this is my career necessarily. But for teaching, I was not happy with some of the other degrees I was pursuing. So I just decided to take some classes and see if I liked it. And I did. And as far as the podcast goes, I think we were on a vacation one time. And we were talking about the running backs, maybe even Saquon Barkley or the quarterbacks. And you just said, well, that's that's awesome. Do you want to come on the podcast and talk about it? And I was like, fuck it. I'm not doing anything. Like, I'll come on, whatever. And then I guess I was just blowing it out of the water. And you made me keep doing it. It's just like that. Exactly. I Connor, think the, how about you? The primary answer for me would be my dad. But the secondary answer is the Jets because they were so terrible for so long that we were actually... NFL draft fans as much as we were football and Jets fans. So my love for the draft started when I was like a kid. And that's why I started watching so much college football. And that kind of brought me, it's a way longer story of how I actually got into working in media. But I think that's why and where the passion started specifically for the draft. Yeah. And I, I I know people want a longer answer on this um, and it's, it's tough to do. I honestly can't remember, and I know that might sound like a cop-out, but I've been a fan of the draft for as long as I can remember. I mean, I, it was, I was obsessed with it from 
really some of my earliest memories uh, are trying to skip church to watch the draft. Um, so I, I don't know for me. I mean, this was always a job that I wanted to have, but didn't think I could. So how did I get into it? I think everyone knows this story. I started a website called NFL Draft Blitz, and we had about a thousand people a month read it. And I think a lot of those were me refreshing to see how many people read the goddamn thing. And, but I wrote, I wrote every day, you know, mock drafts, rankings, scouting reports. And I knew I wanted to work in media and I signed up for, uh, I didn't even know it was like a newsletter and they would send you job alerts. And I got an email one day from journalismjobs.com choking up talking about this. And it, it said bleach report was hiring an NFL draft writer. And I was like, Oh shit, I can do that. So I applied and Dylan McNamara emailed me back and hired me. And eight years later, he and I are like two of the only people still left of the company from that time period because it's, it's blown up so much. So I think for me, it's right place, right time. And then like the fact that, and I'm still this way, like so paranoid that someone's going to take your job that you always just work your ass off so that no one can just trying to make yourself valuable. And I think going back to Mello's point, it's a great one that sometimes you just fall into things. I mean, I wanted to be a firefighter, uh, not just growing up. Like when I was in college, I took the New York City test. Both my uncles are. My dad was a captain in the Bronx for 33 years and still is a volunteer down the shore at 61 years old. But the way the test was, I didn't have New York City residency, so I lost a, a ton of points there. Not a veteran. I had no no bonus points that brought me down the list. So while I was waiting on that list, I got the job at Bleacher Report as a production assistant and I mean that the rest was history from there of how I worked my way up and have I, I've always loved this kind of work. I just never actually thought it was a reality. Connor, let's let's dig in deep here. Let's let's take a second. How did nine eleven affect that decision for you? Was that like something that drove you to want to be a firefighter? Because I don't know that we've never talked about it. It's no, it's actually really interesting. I had zero interest in being a firefighter before that, and, and it wasn't because, um. Like, I didn't think it was cool or anything like that. I just didn't understand my dad's job because, you know, I, I didn't understand any of it. And 9-11 was the first time. Now, keep in mind, I was uh, nine years old on 9-11. So watching all of those videos and going to all those funerals day after day, week after week, and like some of our closest friends didn't make it, it, it kind of opened my eyes. You know, obviously it was a horrible issue, but it also opened my eyes to how important it was. And that was when I was like, oh, that's something I'm actually passionate about. The culture of it, being in the firehouse with the guys uh, is incredible. New York City, I mean, I love New York. I'm from New York. And it would have been a chance to always stay here no matter what. And fortunately, I've been able to do that. And I think when you look at it, it was one of those things where it was like, it was never expected to me. It actually caused tension in my family. When I took the test, my mom was really upset with me. Uh, she told me that, like it, it basically would have changed things a lot. Cause she was like, I I've dealt with this for 33 years with your father. I hate every time he leaves the house, wondering if he's going to come home. We, you have two uncles that did the same thing. Like, why are you going to do this to me? And that hurt a lot, but it also was one of those things where it's like, if you're passionate about it, you want to go do it. Now, like I said, in a weird way, unfortunately I didn't get to do it. I still think about it every single month, but I, I love this so much that, I couldn't have asked for any more or to be, you know, this lucky. But uh, to answer your question, 100% 9-11 was the reason. Damn, mellow, like, fucking Katie Couric over here interviewing people. <laughs> it was great. It was a great, it was a great question. Hey, I'm a, over here crying. The new Tom Rinaldi. 
<laughs> at Mellow Esquire. Gosh, dang, I don't guys. get to ask the serious questions all the time. It just, and, and just to put it in perspective, put it in perspective, I was on the phone with my dad last night uh, talking about the Mets trades, which are just always a blast. He is 61 years old, and he goes, uh, "I have to call you back. I have a run." He's 61 years old. It's 30 degrees at the shore right now, and he's going out on a run. Now my mom texts me. She's like, "He can't find his keys. He can't find his glasses. He can't find anything." So, the, it, hopefully, the building's not on fire. But like, it's just one of those things that like. It's like an athlete that can't give it up. It's just, it never leaves you. And I think it's a little bit the same when you grow up in that family. Yeah. All right. There you have it. And that's our show. So thanks to Joe Montana. Uh, Great talking to him. My idol, as everyone who's listened to this podcast for the last year and a half knows. So that was a a huge moment for me. Connor got to talk to Darrell Rivas. I get to talk to Joe Montana. Mello. I get to talk to Connor about (laughs) 9-11. There you go. And And maybe Jeremy Bloom one day. Yeah, hopefully. Fingers crossed. All right, that is our show. Connor and I will be back Wednesday morning with all the draft news and notes that you guys want and need, and we'll be fixing a team, probably the Oakland Raiders, because they're number two on the clock. So thanks, guys. We'll talk to you real soon.